for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Podcast. Podcast. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Hello, welcome to the Outstanding Ohioans show. This is episode 16. My name is Ron Silico and I'm the host of the show. Today I am interviewing Tom Price, who is a farmer, recycler, entrepreneur, and is on various civic boards that he will talk about here shortly. One of his themes is he likes to take a, something from a one-to-one ratio and make it three, which means, to me, it sounds like he wants, he believes in collaborations and partnerships for the betterment of mankind. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Well, you're uh, glad to be here. Okay. Uh, what I wanted to do first, Tom, for the audience is uh, you, you've got an enterprise that I, I shared with you that I, I became familiar with on the R Ohio show uh, in terms of composting and recycling uh, on your farm. But for the listener, can you give us, at the beginning, a, a background into your journey to where you are today? Of, of feed and food into the hogs and cattle. And uh, uh, so we take the back end, uh, the rejects uh, from companies who are uh, making food byproducts or food products, and then we use it here as a feed for the cattle. Then we have a byproduct of manure that, uh, being in Delaware County here, the fastest growing county in Ohio, and 10th or 15th in the U.S., we have a, you know, a great deal of, uh, a large number of neighbors, and so you got to be, uh, what you say, environmentally friendly on what you're doing, both with odors and traffic and everything else. So we kind of started the, the idea, why not compost this manure, and uh, and then use the end product as compost for flower beds and gardens and, and that sort of thing. So. We kind of got into composting, and then one thing led to another, and we got a little bit bigger, and uh, we uh, uh, got an EPA permit uh, to do a Class two, which is fairly highly regulated compost site where you can take manures, yard trimmings, and selected organics and uh, make it into a recyclable item, i.e. compost, and uh, then the neighbors can use it. So that's kind of how we got started in it. Okay. Now, I, I read on your website, your, this farm has been in your family for six generations. Can you give a little bit of, of background on that growing up and yes. how many were in your yes. family? Uh, uh, it, it, since my wife's home farm, my home farm is 10 miles south of here, and Dad moved out from Columbus when I was nine years old. We still have part of that farm as we speak, but it was such a... Uh, highly urbanized area, and, and Judy, my wife, that, this home farm is about 280 acres, so it gave us a, a bigger footprint to uh, do something with. And um, and I worked, when I got out of college, I worked at the hog barn and worked away from uh, the farm for about 10 years and then got back into recycling and doing this. So it kind of took me a few years to kind of get back to where we're full-time on this, but this farm was a, a general livestock farm, had hogs and cattle and sheep, and uh, we were doing more hogs, and then we got into the byproduct feeding. So the sixth generation is our grandson, uh, and he kind of runs the outside operations here at the compost site. My son, John, runs the livestock side on the hogs and cattle, and, uh, and then helps out here at the farm, or here at the compost site. Okay. So, so growing up, uh, t- tell us about life growing up for you. What was your childhood like? Oh, that, that's interesting because we had a very small farm. My dad wanted to raise three boys in the country, and his dad was a sharecropper, and they lost their mother at an early age. So he and his dad, and they split up the family, so dad stayed with grandpa price and pretty rough life as you can imagine and uh, 
he went into uh, he was a paratrooper in World War II, made it through the Battle of the Bulge, and came back home and was working nights and wanted to raise raise uh, raise us in the country. So anyway, we had a small farm in southern Delaware County, uh, 72 acres, milked 10 cows. I uh, had the chickens, you know, made the creamery milk and all that sort of thing. Uh, I wanted to farm pretty bad, but Dad said, "No, you're going to go to you're going to go to college first because you're going to be the first price to graduate from college." So I went to Ohio State, uh, lived and worked at the hog barn, and and uh, graduated uh, from there, and just you know started in. So, uh, but. Uh, in the in the very beginning, I wanted to go right to the farm, and uh, Dad said, "No, nope, you're going to go on." So that's how we got get started. Well, I met my wife. We we both went to high school together, and uh, she's a teacher, and uh, went to Ohio State also, and uh, got married uh, uh, when I was a uh, graduating senior, and and uh, she went to uh, she taught first graders. Okay. Uh, when you were growing up, what were some of the core values that you learned, and who were the people that modeled that for you? Well, uh, certainly uh, mom and dad uh, from the idea that, uh, you know, you, you stood by your word, and you if you said you were going to do something, you did it, and you finished the job because, you know, sometimes you, you start something, you say, well, I'm not going to finish it. But if you start something with, with our family, you generally finish it. So with contracts and whatnot, I expect others to, uh, you know, to pay me when it's due, and uh, we pay other people when it's due. Uh, we don't string it out and, you know, find excuses. Uh, the other thing that, that I think is probably as important are certainly the family values. We got, we have three children. Uh, all three children live here in Delaware County and raising their families here, and, and we really appreciate that because we get to see grandkids, and, and a lot of people, a lot of families aren't that fortunate. Uh, I think we got kind of lucky on that side, and uh, uh, we very much appreciate it. The other thing is we went to church every Sunday, and uh, no matter where you go to church at, uh, it, it helps uh, create the, the social fabric of the community, and uh, we feel that that's very important. Uh, we call it the bank account of goodwill that you build, and uh, you can add to that bank account, and occasionally, if, if we have some odors here at the compost site, well, you, it's going to subtract from that bank account of goodwill. But uh, in the end, you got to have a, that in order to do business with your neighbors and around the neighborhood. I want to dive into talking about your father a little bit more because he's part of the greatest generation. Great, yep. lived in great through the Great Depression, served his country in a very high risk role in World War II. How do you think those experiences shaped him, and then consequently affected you? Well. He dug ditches when he came back from the war. In addition to the uh, working in the factory, which he worked nights at, he also dug ditches by hand. And I think that's the reason his knees gave out. But uh, uh, it was no nonsense. Um, uh, you worked for what you got, and people who had lesser uh, lesser means, you, you, you helped them out too. So. I think that was because mom always talked about the the, the uh, uh, people who didn't have a job and were so they lived along railroad track and her her dad was on, you know in, in the railroad business and uh, uh, I call them hobos or, or whatever you want to call them but they always had a hand out at their house and uh, we we feel pretty strongly about people in need and we we have some. Uh, programs here at the compost site where we take the money for, say, weighing a trailer that needs a license, and uh, it's a donation, and then we'll match that donation, and then it goes to people in need. So that's kind of our way to, to reach out to people who, who have come on rough times or, you know, unable to uh, enjoy some of the things that we we got pretty lucky on. Great. Great. That's it's so inspiring to hear. Uh, in, in every business, when there's when there's the 
that you're making the decision whether to grow or expand or do something different, there's some sort of tipping point that leads you in that direction. And it, it sounds like from, from what we've talked about already, going into the composting was one of those tipping points for your family farm. Can you talk about how that, how that idea evolved uh, and really how you envisioned it at the beginning and how it's ended up today? Now, that's an interesting question because uh, when we have tours, that's one of them that comes up. How did you decide to do this? And certainly recycling in, in this day and age is becoming more and more important. And, uh, uh, and sustainability is, you know, sustainability issues. And one of the words that I like to use is enhanceability, where enhanceability is where you increase increase instead of sustain and uh, composting is and we've got hogs so you'll understand this one it's it's where you kind of make a silk purse out of the sow's ear and you <laughs> take products that are destined for a landfill and or burning and you make something out of it that somebody uh, can use and recycle uh, into food and fiber. So mainly we, we enjoy helping community gardens um, uh, because they're raising food and generally it's in a, an inner city lot that has a uh, that doesn't have a, a good growing soil structure and compost for those people is just huge. Uh, they'll come out and say, man, you can't believe how the carrots are growing and it's easy to pull weeds and so on. So we kind of got into that composting originally because we had manure that I didn't want to spread on fields and because of the odor issues and then it kind of uh, went full circle to where uh, we're taking in byproducts that are meant for a landfill and, and also turning it into compost. And, you know, we take all the product, not all of it, but we take the compo compostables out of the Ohio State football games, out of the stadium, and we started that a, a couple of years ago. And, again, it's it's spreading the word out of a 100 and some thousand people that uh, – that Ohio State and the athletic department and Ohio State itself is attempting to be a recyclable and a good neighbor uh, to the environment and so on and so forth. So it's been kind of uh, an interesting journey to uh, to get into this side. Ten years ago, uh, on a scale of one to ten, recycling and composting was probably about a two, maybe a three, and now it's maybe a five or a six, and, and still got a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For for a listener that may not know much about composting, Tom, can you talk about in terms of in terms of volume? First of all, what 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 is a, a good volume where people could start composting? Uh, what okay. and then and then related to that, how long does it take before that before that certain level of compost becomes an organic material that people can reuse? Yes, there's, there's two issues here, One, not two issues, but two lines of thought. One is home composting, backyard composting, where people get a feel for what's going on. Generally, those home composters don't get the heat that our bigger piles here do. So our piles get up to around 130 plus or minus 10 degrees, so it, it literally sterilizes that pile. So that's the reason we can take uh, meat byproducts Whereas a home composter, they don't. They recommend you not put meat into it. Uh, it doesn't get the heat. Uh, generally, it takes about two years for us to get a product that that is really uh, black and uh, mature and ready to go. It's kind of like the cheese commercial. It's not ready until it's done. <laughs> now you can go, you can you can go through your your EPA uh, pathogen reduction test. Uh, your heavy metals, your temperature time and temperature tests and all that in a matter of months. But uh, to our way of thinking, it's it's not mature compost and, and it's really black and really dense. Homeowners, 
uh, we like to, I like to, when I talk to those groups, you like to have three different piles. One pile that you're putting fresh product in and mixing it with grass trimmings, uh, carbon, carbon material such as sticks, and make the sticks small so that you don't have a whole lot of airspace in there. And then uh, a second pile that you're turning a little bit, and the third pile is, is you know, aging. And uh, we do that similarly here at the compost site where we'll have a, a lot of different, uh, what do you say, piles, but these piles might be 30, uh, 25, 30 feet tall and have anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 yards in each one. So this is a fairly large uh, commercial operation now and grew from a pile behind the hog barn that was four or five foot tall and maybe 10 or 15 foot long. So, uh, and we've, we've been at this about 11 years. So in 11 years, that's, that's how much it's grown. Okay. Okay. And I think there's a, a common misperception for a lot of people why they may not even do the backyard home composting is insects and odors. Can you can you talk about how those factors relate to home home composting and what really is what is really the effect of home home composting? Okay, um, generally speaking, I would not put a home compost pile close to your garage because you're going to have uh, uh, how do I say this uh, friendly garter snakes that might like to stay in that pile a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a lady who couldn't figure out why she had so many garter snakes in her garage, and it's because the compost pile was right beside it. So <laughs> you'd like to get a little distance between that pile and, and where that's going to happen. And, and we appreciate garter snakes. They're, they're, good, they're good people. <laughs> but uh, you'd like to have a pile that uh, if you put too much food into it, most people won't do that because they don't waste food. But if you put too much grass in it, that's a nitrogen component. And generally speaking, you, uh, without getting too technical here, uh, you need about a 15 or 20 to 1 uh, ratio between carbon, which is 15 and 1, the nitrogen part of it. And, that, and then keep the moisture at about uh, 40 to 50 percent. And uh, and you'll you'll get some composting going on. The the reason most home composters don't get along very well is they put too big of sticks in there, and so it isn't dense enough for the bacteria to really get touchy, touchy touch contact between the grass, nitrogen, and the carbon part of it. So. Um, that's the reason it needs to be compacted just a little bit, and sometimes you might even have to put a handful of, of nitrogen in there to kind of help the pile get along. Rarely do I see you have to need uh, more sticks because that's mostly what they think they can put into it. Okay. Okay. Uh, smells, smells and odors are generally caused by high nitrogen, and uh, so if that's the case, you need to add a little bit more carbon, and carbon could be, uh, say, tree chips. Um, if you've got some kind of a chipper or, or break your sticks of wood up in very small pieces, leaves will do a little bit of that uh, versus grass. Grass is a little bit ornery. If you put too much grass into it, it'll, uh, it'll get stinky. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so you 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 get involved with in your family farm and in in the composting. How how did your business model evolve? Where did where did you start? How did you start collecting from other clients and then redistributing? Um, probably started with uh, the city of Delaware was wanting a place. Uh, to go uh, besides uh, on property that they owned. So they were helpful in uh, being supportive of what we were wanting to do. Uh, uh, we get a great deal of horse manure in here, which I underestimated how much horse manure we would get in. Uh, 
so that product is generally uh, shavings, wood shavings based with not a great deal of manure. So it's a great product to go ahead and put in with yard trimmings that comes from the neighbors from the city of Delaware and the city of Marysville and, you know, surrounding uh, small communities. Uh, it takes you, it'll take several years to get into the retail side of it in any manner that's that's going to start making you any money, uh, just because you know it just takes time to build up uh, product lines that people uh, word of mouth goes, and just in the last I'd say three to four years, three to five years at the most, that the word of mouth that our barnyard cafe compost or our Zubru compost will really do the job in your garden, that word is just, it's finally starting to make, get a critical mass to where the word of mouth uh, is, is getting out there. Plus, our website has been very helpful, so I didn't, I didn't envision our website being this helpful, you know, 11, 12 years ago, and we put a great deal of effort into that now. Okay. Now... Beside the city of Delaware, how did what was your method for going out and recruiting clients and offering them to take your product, take their product? Uh, yeah, that first year I went to a lot of township uh, trustee meetings. So <laughs> they'd have them on Monday or Tuesday night, and uh, we've got I think fourteen or fifteen townships and might be more than that, here in Delaware County, and uh, went to all of them so that they all knew, you know, what we were doing, what we were trying to do. Uh, I spoke at a lot of, uh, what I say, uh, uh, meetings where uh, they were community uh, groups like Chamber of Commerce, um, uh, Kiwanis, and all those. We, we spoke at all of them. Okay. And... What what attracted you, Tom, to choosing composting as a way to change your business model on the family farm and get into that? What 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 did you what was your vision, your purpose for for going that route? Uh, I I knew early on that we weren't going to farm uh, five hundred, a thousand, two thousand acres here in Delaware County. Uh, I just didn't. Uh, it was going to have to be all rented land, and, uh, and and some people do a great job of that. You know, they they farm a lot of ground, and uh, ground values in Delaware County are quite high. So we had to figure out something that would be uh, intensive that we could do on 280 acres, and uh, and and have one or two or three families involved. And uh, uh, we had been in the hog business on the recycling side, so that was one of them. Before that, we were selling purebred uh, Hampshire boars and gilts throughout Ohio, and again, an intensive, uh, rather than just, uh, rather than, you know, raising feeder pigs and selling feeder pigs, so on and so forth. We also did a, uh, we, we have quite a bit of grass, because this farm rolls a little bit, and it's not, uh, it's all, it's not flat black ground, it rolls. So that means you're going to have pastures, and uh, we do an intensive rotational uh, pasture system where we move the cattle. Used to move them every day. We're back to where we move them about every week now. So we built a lot of fence uh, six or eight, nine years ago and uh, do that. Now, part of that comes about that helps with your bank account of goodwill because people hiking and biking by the farm, uh, they can smell with their eyes, and uh, and so they they see the cattle, and uh, and that's very positive. So uh, mm-hmm. part of the cost to the cattle, believe it or not, is is a is a public relations. So <laughs> it 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 helps. So uh, we don't uh, we don't belittle uh, the PR work that a farmer's got to do nowadays. Okay. Now, to that point, uh, it sounds like. And I don't, I don't know if what your your pig your pig management's always been like, but it it sounds like you're in many ways connected to the what's the, the growing pasture movement, organic movement, to letting the animals 
roamed free, if you will, and, and raising them that way rather than in a barn confined. Is that accurate? Yes. Uh, the barn that we built for the hogs is uh, we put 150 to 200 hogs in one pen. We bed that pen with paper, which comes from the surrounding community of businesses and neighbors. So we bed with paper every day, every two days, with newspapers and magazines that people bring up to recycle that goes over to the hogs. And then that manure from that is a solid manure that goes into our barnyard cafe compost, cafe being coffee grounds that we get in the barnyard, of course, being the hogs and cattle manure. At the drop-off site for the paper is a freezer that we put, uh, that we have a hog processed into. And on the honor system, we sell pork burger and brats. So it, it's uh, people go in there, and then they we got a little sign-in sheet, and they'll make comments how the pig's doing, and so on and so forth. It, uh, what I really need to be doing more of is, is uh, you know, being on the internet with uh, Facebook, and uh, we've toyed with that idea too. And it, it sounds like you really have a, a fully integrated farm in terms of just everything cycling through with. You get the compost material. You use it. The animals are are are, are eating are using the land for their sustenance. They're returning product to you, which you compost. Uh, it sounds like a wonderful cycle that you've got. Well, that's one of the things this year we're putting a, a lot more pressure on is closing the circle, mm-hmm. and we're uh, our our compost site can take food from restaurants and, uh, you know, from the stadium and, and whatnot. And uh, what we want to do, and we can't, what do you say, a, a restaurant would bring product in here and it might be 20 pounds, might be 50 pounds. Well, in, in an operation this size, it really makes very little difference whether we get 50 pounds or 100 pounds from someone. But the idea of closing the circle with the patrons in that restaurant is something that we're toying with. And how do we how do we encourage those people to, we're going to recycle food from your plate, which might only be an ounce or two ounces per plate. That's generally kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if people out there that are listening to this have any ideas on that, uh, we're, we're all ears because we think that those people, somehow we need to close the circle, whether we do it with Internet sales uh, where we sell this product by the gallon instead of by the truckload. Uh, that's, that's one of the options that we're looking at. Hmm. Okay. Uh, something, that, something that you've mentioned a few times is – and I'm curious on how the process evolved. How did you get involved with Ohio State football and, and game day waste management? Um, I've, I've been involved with the university pretty much ever since I graduated because uh, I was, um, uh, what do you say, when, you, when they bring in someone from outside to teach a class and um, – uh, so I was a guest lecturer in a capstone class on the environmental uh, on in the environmental advantages of farming and what you can do, and then neighbor relations. I've done that for probably I don't know ten years, fifteen years. So a lot of uh, students that have gone through the ag college have, have heard Tom Price talk. For the last, and I don't know how many years this has been going on, I've been on the Dean's Advisory Council for Food, Agriculture, and Environmental at, uh, at, at Ohio State. So because of some of those conversations that went on, people down there knew that we were composting, and they had a challenge at Ohio State uh, of large venues that uh, – in zero waste is 90% or more. And uh, the, the schools out west, the so-called green schools, you know, UC, Davis, Oregon, Washington, so on and so forth, uh, were kind of, 
that won that first one, and uh, how could how did Ohio State go from a 91 to 97 percent and beat those people at their own game? It was really pretty neat, and composting allowed Ohio State to do that. So even though it's uh, uh, when you get up to the top and you're recycling, that last three to five percent is really tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, composting, because we've had people out here from the University of Arizona that uh, were, you know, touring a stadium and saying, "How are you doing that?" And uh, so they they asked me early on. They said, "Tom, would you be willing to help us do this?" Well, the contamination is the issue mm-hmm. because you've got a you've got a great deal of other things that gets into that compost bin. And uh, so, in addition to us, um, the uh, the correctional facility at Lancaster, uh, where the uh, the inmates there help sort, and we really didn't want to use it as a, a so-called cheap labor. We wanted an educational component to that. Mm-hmm. And the uh, warden at Lancaster, I think she won Warden of the Year for the U.S. Hmm. Uh, because of that program, it was it just was a great program. So uh, we get the product out of the suites and the kitchens and the and the uh, and where they uh, say the gloves and uh, hats and some other stuff happen to get in the compost bin that goes down to Lancaster. Okay. That wasn't a very good answer. No, that's... <laughs> no that, that was fine. I, I wanted to ask you, Tom, is it easier to give a list of things that you can compost or the things you cannot? And, and what would that be? What would that list be? The uh, the list that we can uh, certainly is organic, and okay. uh, there's a lot of organics out there. Um, they're making paint now with with water, you know, organics. It has a uh, a factory smell to it, and we can get through the heavy metals part of it. But we're we're looking at here at the compost site a uh, the ability to to send to you product that can be that can grow certified organics through. Now with that, uh, some of these outlier products, I don't believe we're going to go ahead and compost here just because it's going to limit uh, limit our ability to sell product that you can sell that you can grow organic foods in. Now, with that said, you know, vegetables, leaves, grass, uh, all the normal things, uh, food, uh, coffee grounds, uh, just uh, um, bakery byproduct, uh, all that can go into the compost site. Things that we don't take and that we're really uh, tough on is plastics, uh, certainly glass, uh, things that that just won't break down, that if you get it in your compost bed, you're not, you're going to say, Tom, I don't like that product. So, uh, uh, and you'd be surprised how much plastic makes its way into the site, even though we have a lot of signage. Hmm. Okay. Okay. We've, we've stopped taking uh, compostable plastic bags because a lot of people see a bag here and they don't understand that it's different than the black plastic bag that they've got at home. So we just had to say no plastic bags, period. Hmm. Okay. And in terms of people that can bring bring compostable materials to your facility, is it, do you strictly deal with businesses and and those kind of things, or can individuals drop off items as well? Because of our relationship with our solid waste district, which is Delaware, Knox, Marion, and Morrow counties, uh, all those residents are encouraged to bring their yard trimmings, leaves and grasses and tree trimmings 
and, and like that here at no charge. Uh, we do charge a landscapers a nominal amount to bring in uh, what they're uh, being paid to clean up a yard with. So uh, small loads, $5, a bigger loads, 10 and I mean, it's, it's not very much in order to have you know, five acres of concrete and an office and staff an office and so on and so forth. We got a, a big scale here, a seven or 11 foot by 70 scale that can weigh, you know, any kind of truck that comes in. But uh, so we could, uh, I would guess, Ron, we probably get about 50-50 from homeowners hmm. And uh, fifty percent from landscapers and uh, businesses that are recycling the back end of uh, vegetables out of a big box store. Okay. So you decide to go into composting. You, you decide to scale it up. At what point did you learn we've got to deal with the EPA? And what was your process for doing that? Okay. Uh, when we went, when we decided to go from composting behind the barn with that six-foot-high, 20-foot alarm windrow, and we went for a Class two site, then immediately that was where EPA came into the picture because you cannot, uh, you can't go further. You've got to have permits, uh, which is a fairly lengthy process to to put a Class two into operation. I'd say at least a year, if not a year and a half. And uh, you go through neighbor meetings. You got to have two public meetings. Uh, you got to be uh, so many uh, feet, and I think it's a thousand feet away from a, a hundred-year floodplain. Um, you got to capture all the water runoff off of the site. Uh, you got to be so far away from churches and uh, schools and and things like that. So it's kind of it's 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 not an easy one to do, and probably that's the reason you don't have a lot of them around. Um, the uh, the EPA process really, uh, to my estimation, is uh, is good because it assures uh, it assures the public that you won't have a so-called fly-by-night operation come in and take product and cause either water problems, air problems, and or neighbor problems. So I, I embrace the EPA regulations that we go through. Okay. And is there a, is it, how often do you get inspections? Is it every year? Is it several uh, times a year? They are unannounced inspections and generally four to six times per year. We just had one last week. Okay. Okay. And, and what does an inspection entail? What are, what are they looking for? And ha have there been any situations where you've been asked to modify some of your operations? Uh, good question. Um, they have a checklist, and probably there's probably 30 things on the checklist that they check yes, no, or needs needs work on. And uh, uh, I'm knocking on wood as we speak. Uh, we've had good inspections for many years. I'm not sure we've ever had a bad inspection. Uh, one time we had a neighbor. Uh, call in and not sure what the issue was, uh, whether they were upset with something. And uh, they called and said they were having some odor issues. And uh, so EPA called, said, Tom, we, we've got to respond to this within 24 hours. And I said, I'm available, come out right now. And we walked the site and uh, he didn't see any, didn't see, smell or hear anything. So I don't know, you know, you, we don't, I know that we can't, uh, what do you say, uh, make everybody happy because mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're always going to have someone that really doesn't want you in business for one reason or another. So uh, we understand that. Uh, we work hard at uh, building this bank account of goodwill that I talked about earlier. And EPA is part of that process, so they they're looking at standing water. We've got a uh, you don't like standing water because of the mosquito issues. Uh, naturally, you want to get everything covered up. Uh, if uh, we got a load of vegetables come in, we you want to get it covered up within the same day. Um, 
your t your temperature and your records have got to be available. Um, it's it's just what you would expect uh, if you were putting one in and you were putting one and you were regulating it. It's 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 what I would expect. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of paperwork on a daily basis that you've got to do. There, there's some paperwork. We, we, we fill papers out every day on how much product came in, uh, what we did with it, uh, how we managed it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a, as a family business, how have your children and, and others been involved with it? John was the first one, of course, because he was here on the farm before we started the compost site. Uh, then our youngest daughter, uh, Tricia, she's working in the office now, started about oh, two or three, four years ago. And uh, so she uh, runs the office and pays bills and, and, uh, and like that. Uh, Austin, the, the grandson, he started working here when he was in high school and uh, asked me early on, he said, Grandpa, I think you and, and Uncle John have the, two of the best jobs I know of. Would you have room for me if I went to school? And I said, absolutely. And he said, what school should I, what do I need? And I said, you need a business. Uh, and I think you need to know how people uh, uh, PR work and, uh, uh, and those kinds of things. And he picked out a school that had that uh, uh, those attributes. Plus, he was a pretty good lacrosse player and uh, got a little bit of a scholarship. Not a little bit. He got a scholarship mm. to play lacrosse also. So he's a good kid, asked good questions, and I'm real proud to have him. Nice. Nice. Oh, I... I lost my next question here. Uh, so, it, it, you, you've really you've transformed your your family operation, it, it, and I'm sure people call you about this from time to time. What, what are there are there opportunities for other people to do this kind of work? And, and it's on, I mean, it's obvious that in terms of sustainability, there's tremendous value in that. Can can people make a go of this? I think they can. Uh, I was uh, helping uh, two gentlemen um, uh, doing similarly what we were doing uh, or are doing. And um, neighbor, neighbor opposition surprised me that it was so great that it, eventually the guys gave up or well, I won't say gave up, but they uh, they haven't got uh, they haven't made it to first base yet, and uh, uh, so the not in my backyard uh, mentality is is very strong, and and uh, when we first when I first decided we were going to do this, the first the very first day. I went to two of the three township trustees' homes and told them firsthand what I was thinking about. And the next day, I went to all of the neighbors that had joined this farm because I didn't want them to hear it secondhand. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we live here and we work here, and that has helped tremendously on being able to cite this operation originally. But uh, I, I'll tell you what, it is not easy citing something in a community uh, that neighbors don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. it, it, uh, even though I think you give an operation, uh, you know, uh, five years, uh, they, they should be able to... Uh, make it work, but uh, that, those first five years are going to be tough. Now, um, you know, something I'm, I'm curious about, did, did you have to get zoning or approval from, yes. the, from the township? You did. Okay. And what did that, what yes. was that? And, and we don't have county, we didn't have township zoning. We had county zoning. Okay. So, uh, 
we had the uh, county prosecutor and the zoning inspector, and I had a meeting early on on uh, whether we was going to do spot zoning out here and call it light industrial, whether we're going to uh, uh, do a, a stay on the farm and uh, uh, use it as a as a as a, an extension of our farming operation. And the end result, both of them agreed that that it was more of a farming operation and uh, they didn't want to uh, do a spot zone on it because in Delaware County, it's really hard to do that anyway because, uh, again, you got neighbors that don't want this light industrial because then after that, what goes in here? So this is a, this is a farm residential zoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and that's, that's, and EPA mandated that you had to have that, uh, way say uh, that 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 blank had to be answered. Okay. Sounds very political. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, Ron, you're right on. Yeah. And, and to some extent, that uh, I, I know at least for me that would I, I know I was frustrated with being in the city and I I was burning brush one time and I got. I got told I yep. couldn't do that, and uh, I mean, part of I feel very strongly that people overlook individual property rights for a few complaints that, in a lot of cases, don't have merit anyway. That's a it's a very frustrating thing yeah. to, to hear, and yeah. and I think, you know, thankfully, you were able to get that. But I think a lot of people that want to do good things like this. They get like those two gentlemen that you mentioned. They got stopped before they could really even start, and in the community, lost a potential. They lost something that could have been really great because a few yes. people, a few people's opinions were listened to, and and the ideas got shot down. Yep, and their business plan was was really uh, probably a better business plan originally than what we had, but. And I, I coached him on some things that I thought would be important, and they wrote it into the business plan, but still couldn't get it through. So uh, it's it's uh, it's not easy. Um, and I don't care what you're doing; you can be doing. You could put a, uh, be absolutely a hundred, like you say, a hundred percent right, and you just can't get it through. So mm-hmm. uh, I ain't spend very much time on that because. Uh, it is possible to get it through. If you have a bank account of goodwill <laughs> uh, yep. within the community, yep. uh, the big C word isn't quite as uh, uh, isn't quite as humbling uh, to the uh, to your neighbors as if someone comes out. Because I doubt if I could come down into your area and uh, and say, well, I'm going to do this and get it done within a year. I, I just, I think I'd have to have a neighbor uh, like yourself mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, that buys into it, and then we make it happen. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned some, and I don't know how recent this has been as a development, but people are touring your farm. What what kind of groups, what kind of groups come in, and, and what's the educational message that you're sharing? anywhere from we've had some preschool groups which are little guys and we'll get a we'll get five buckets of product and then we'll have them identify it and then we say all these five buckets after a period of time is this bucket here and it's compost hmm. and then you put it on your garden very simple uh, of course they all like the big piles and the big machines and the tractors and all that kind of stuff and it gives them a, a
to them how this is good for the community and, and good for themselves to have a recycling option rather than a landfill option. All right. Uh, two things that you said pre-interview in our conversation is you like you like to take one plus one and make make it equal three. What what's that philosophy mean? Um, one plus one equaling two is is normal. One plus one equals three is out of the box. So that's where you're thinking. Uh, you expand your thinking. What if? And and that's 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 where we we try to be at. What if we take then equals three? So uh, and we sell product into uh, uh, people who have three tomato plants on their veranda in New York because we're a legitimate farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they go to the website, uh, I think there's a, a tremendous. Uh, uh, opportunity out there, and anybody could do this, not just us. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you said that I-, I wanted to hear a little bit more about you like to be five years ahead of conventional thinking. What's that mean for you? Yeah, um, and that's conventional thinking. No, you don't have to, I don't think you can forecast. And, I mean, you can forecast a little bit, but I, rather than forecast, I would rather adapt quickly because that's what Darwin said. Uh, it's not the spe- species that's the most intelligent, but the species that adapts the quickest that, that endures. So, uh, so uh, we don't try to forecast. We try to adapt. Now, uh, with the question that, that you ask on the other side seven or eight for ten rather than three for three mm-hmm. uh, if you're three for three you're really not out on the edge because uh, you know you're a hundred percent so uh, I don't mind missing one or two every once in a while because uh, that keeps you that keeps you thinking and out in front. If you're five years ahead of conventional thinking, then that means that I'd like to be really thinking now, uh, or five years ago, what they're doing now. Now, you can say that's forecasting, but I believe we're going to be doing more recycling in the future. Uh, I've got a lot of companies that are calling and asking, uh, we want to be zero landfill by 2015 2016 and they've got some really tough products how can you help us and uh, so that, that's another area we we're looking at um, uh, five years ahead of conventional thinking uh, I think interest and I've missed this for about a year or two but I think interest rates are going to go up one of these days because of some inflationary issues that they is here because the cost of our concrete, the cost of building materials, the cost of nails is higher than it was a year or two ago. So I don't want to be in debt too much uh, going into this next round. Okay. In our pre-interview conversation, you mentioned that you're on several civic boards. Can you talk a little bit about your roles with those? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm involved with the High Soul and Water Commission, which uh, has 88 districts throughout the state, and a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are involved with soil and water. Um, uh, I think that's, that is a great grassroots group, and that's the reason that I accepted the uh, about and maybe some things that they don't 
know about. And uh, we're always working hand-in-hand uh, hand hand with Farm Bureau in the Land of Living exhibit where those are interactive displays. And uh, we feel uh, very strongly that the, the urban population is uh, gets a taste of, of agriculture and what the ag community is, is trying to do. Uh, this clean water thing that we're into with uh, Lake Erie and Grand Lake St. Mary's is is a uh, is taking up some some time and uh, uh, it's, uh, I was on the Chamber of Commerce for a while and, and a couple other things but uh, you know you can spread yourself too thin but uh, a lot of these things are uh, a lot of these activities uh, are what you say what would you say you pay forward. That's right. That's right. So something I like to ask successful people like yourself, you, you're incredibly committed to your family, your business, your community, through, through all your activities. What's your daily routine look like and how do you, how do you manage your ability to, to work with that, with all those commitments? Um, I get up early. Uh, 4.30 is a normal time. Uh, and generally that's quiet time till about 5.30 or 6. So we do emails and answer some questions and, and can I get some things out of the road by uh, 6 to 6.30. I read, the, I still read the paper. So uh, I read the paper. It generally takes about a half hour to get through that. And at 6.30, uh, uh, the grandson comes in and then we'll go through a, a, a a staff meeting of sorts from 6.30 to 7, 7.30. Uh, then this morning I had a meeting at, uh, at 9 uh, here on the farm. We're building a building, uh, and we're going to call it the Buckeye Building. Hmm. And uh, that building is kind of going to fit in with recycling, too. But uh, we had a, a meeting with that, and then uh, at 1 o'clock we had a building meeting down fairgrounds because we're building two big buildings down there. We got $34 million that uh, we're putting towards two buildings, one a quarter horse uh, for the quarter horse and then a general purpose building. Uh, that meeting lasted a little longer than I expected. got back about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and... Uh, uh, then generally we'll look at you know see what we did here and what we need to be happening. Um, I got a couple of meetings set up uh, uh, Thursday, uh, and I'm spending more time with meetings. But this is kind of a slow time of the year uh, when we're really into the compost business. I'll spend a little bit more time around here because uh, I'm generally the third guy or the extra guy that uh, that kind of fills in, but. Uh, we'll finish up by oh, 8, 9 o'clock tonight, and uh, and then generally I'll fall asleep watching a ball game. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I share with you the, the way I like to wrap up interviews, Tom, is what legacy are you hoping to, to leave behind through all your contributions and efforts? Oh, my. Oh, my. That's, that's a toughie because I don't think about that very much. Um, what legacy? I guess uh, treating people right, uh, certainly the golden rule, do unto others, you do them, do unto you. Um, the family business here, uh, we're in a transition, uh, and we're looking at how we're going to transition ownership of this farm and the compost site, so we're trying to get that figured out. A lot of a lot of operations don't last past the second or third generation. So I've got an obligation to the family and and really to the community that I figure out how this thing kind of moves on when when I, when I move on. So uh, I you know I I, uh, I tell some people that my neck gets sore from keeping my head down. So I, I kind of like to stay under the radar a little bit, um, uh, but, but I don't mind being in the background making suggestions or, or being an advisor of sorts. So uh, that's a tough question. I, I don't know how I'd answer that. I'll have to think about that a little more. Now, golden rule is always a good one. So. <laughs> 
If, if people wanted to get from the audience, wanted to connect with you, how could they do that with phone, email, and website? Uh, website uh, is an easy one, uh, pricefarms.org, O-R-G, uh, pricefarms.org, and uh, they can email through that one, and, and I'll get it. Um, that's probably the easiest and the quickest way. Okay. Okay. Right. You know, it's an honor to be part of your program. Uh, I've, you know, I've read your blogs, and, and uh, uh, you've got some, uh, uh, what I say, some really neat people or some really great stories, and uh, uh, I'm humbled that uh, you, you gave us a call. Well, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that you're part of that collection now because I, I I love your story. It's a, it's a great one for people to hear, and... Uh, you're you're doing great things uh, in the state of Ohio, and, and certainly uh, much bigger than that. So, and after hearing that daily routine, I'm a I'm a little ashamed that we took a little over an hour of your time. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. But but uh, uh, thank you for the time, and I, I'll I'll get the show information to you, and hopefully you can pass that on as well. Yep, we'll do. You have a great one. If you're ever up in the air, you, uh, you for sure stop. Uh, I sure will. Well, thank you for joining us today, Tom. Okay. Yep, good day. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was Tom Price from PriceFarms.org talking about his recycling and composting operations. We will have detailed information on the show notes and on how to connect with Tom. Thank you for tuning into the show, and have a great day.